Welcome to a special edition of the Trivelo Coaching Get Fast podcast today. This is a special Tour de France uh, edition of the podcast because we just cannot contain ourselves. We love this race so much that we want to talk about the race throughout this uh, three weeks that it is on. So the normal podcast episodes from the Get Fast podcast will be released on Tuesdays as normal, uh, but we will be recording these uh, extra Tour de de France episodes throughout these three weeks when we really want to talk about something because uh, we just love the race so much and uh, we know that a lot of you out there love it as well. Uh, These episodes will be audio only. We won't be filming the video because our aim is to just record them quickly uh, in the morning after a stage and get the episode out to you so there's no delay. Sometimes if we record an episode but we don't release it till the next week, another five days of stages has happened. So the Tour de France, it's come round again and what an epic spectacle it is. I feel like a kid at Christmas every year when it rolls around and I can't believe uh, how excited I still get waiting for the stage to start each night when SBS turns on that Tour de France music. You get Mike Tomolaris, Robert McEwen, uh, Dave McKenzie, everyone sitting there, all the commentators that we're so used to that we've grown up listening to um, talk about the race. It just gets me giddy with excitement. It's it's an unbelievable uh, three weeks of racing, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I suppose... The Giro does that to me as well, um, and I I can't differentiate between those two uh, Grand Tours. I love the Giro because it's it's like twenty one stage races that are one day classics, um, and the Tour to me has always been probably a little bit more s- scripted, but this year started with an unbelievable bang, and it's got me excited because uh, I just love seeing. Guys risking everything and and paying off, like stage one and two and three, you know, breakaways and two out of the three won. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So we've had five stages so far of the tour and as you said, every stage has just come out with a bang. It's brought, brought its own bit of drama and... Not all of the drama positive. We do like some drama. We do like some excitement. But uh, there were some really horrible things happening in the first stages, which we'll touch on, but they've been covered extensively. Um, But I want to start by saying uh, there is actually a member of the Donnelly family in this year's Tour de France. And (laughs) that is uh, Mum. Andy Donnelly, your wife, my mum, your wife. (laughs) I was wondering where you're going there. (laughs) um, I really wanted to mention this. She... Uh, follows a lot of the teams on Instagram. She loves keeping up with uh, the race from that perspective, from the behind the scenes. And before the tour, she, uh, Jumbo Visma had a uh, poll to competition, competition to um, vote on the best the jersey that they were going to wear because they needed to change their jerseys, which I agreed with um, because it was too close to the yellow jersey. They've got so much yellow on them. And mum voted for the correct jersey and anyone that voted for the jersey that they ended up wearing got their name on the jersey. So uh, Andy Donnelly has her name on the Umbo Visma jersey, and she's riding around France at the moment, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, she's a Roglic fan, and uh, and Sepp Kuss Kuss is her favourite. Yeah. Um, so, she, and actually, she knows a lot about uh, cycling over the over the journey. So it's it's uh, great. She gives me all the stats as I'm watching. So um, it's a real team effort. Yeah, it is. Yeah, she she has so much behind the scenes knowledge, which is so helpful. It's like having Matt Keenan sit next to you on the couch. <laughs> So let's get into these stories so far. Um, there's been some big stories. Uh, we'll touch on the crashes. I don't want to talk about them too much because, to be honest, after stage um, three, after Caleb Ewan crashed out, uh, I just was completely flat. I was just devastated watching everything unfold there. The fact that um, the crashes from the previous two days uh, just made you kind of sick. And then Roglic... Um, Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, and then Ewan was the final straw, and it just was really disappointing. And 
not enjoyable. You don't watch cycling for that. No, the people you come to watch and they end up on the ground. It's part of cycling and as Caleb took it really well. Um, and the way he backed up and jumped on the bus and encouraged the guys the next day, I think that was fantastic. That's a real team player and, you know, it's not about me and um, I'm here to support you. And, and then I did see a photo, photo of him on a Learjet going to, <laughs> to get his operation, um, which, was, uh, which was fair enough. Um, but, oh, look, the crashes, you know, it's inevitable there will be crashes and we have discussed uh, the reasons why there's more and... And is it is it because the younger riders these days are more willing to take risks? I'm not sure. The older riders 20 years ago seemed to control the peloton a bit more and not tolerate risk-taking from some of the brash young riders, and they would, you know, reprimand them if they saw them doing something that was dangerous. Is that still happening now? I'm not sure. I'm not in the peloton. I don't know. Mm. But it seems like – I mean, there's always been crashes. There's – there's been crashes from day one mm. in, you know, 1880 till mm. now. So it's not like it's something that's new, but it just seems like there's more really bad crashes. And the speed of the bikes are so much faster than it used to be 40 years ago, for, without doubt. Yeah. Um, so the crashes end up with, you know, really serious um, injuries and, and you're out of the tour. And it's cruel, you know, day one, two, three or four being out of the tour after all the preparation you've done. It's, it's just seems so cruel. Yeah, it's just frustrating, and there's been a lot of talk about course design, and um, you know the the tour itself didn't make it safe for the riders. Uh, the riders, you know, rebelling against it. There was that protest, um, but when, when it comes down to it, it is just frustrating because we're here to see this epic battle of most likely Roglic versus Pogacar versus Thomas, and now two of the three are you know battling injured, and it just doesn't seem fair. And not only that, you and against Cavendish against. Yeah, the best sprinter. Exactly. So now you know Ewan is arguably the best sprinter going round, and he could have won that stage. You know, in his incredibly good handle of the bike, and he ends up on his back. Yeah, um, yeah. which was probably the only crash that was more his fault. You know, <laughs> compared yeah, to the other, touching the wheel at front. Yeah. But at the same time, the guy jumped out of his seat, which throws his bike yeah. back. Which yeah. you know, it's definitely the guy behind's fault. But yeah. uh, that's how it happens when yeah. someone gets out of the seat, and you know he's going to do that. Yeah. So, um, and you know. Sargon came down with him, and um, there's just so many riders who've come down. It's more who hasn't come down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from the crushes because, like we said, it's a negative topic that um, has been talked about enough, I think, and it is frustrating. And we just got to—it's just like the riders after you just got to move on. Yeah. And for me, the story of the tour so far—and I did not think I would say this—is um, Mark Cavendish. I think the redemption of Cavendish and the story of him getting here is. Uh, yeah, inspiring. It gives you goosebumps um, to see all the footage. I just um, that is what cycling is about. It was just an unbelievable story, and you know he thought he was he thought he was done. And coincidentally, I watched um, an interview with him a month ago, and there was talk of him potentially riding the tour. And he was getting quite aggressive at the journalists and saying, "Stop asking me if I'm riding the tour." I'm, he was basically saying, "I'm not good enough. You know, that's not going to happen." Um, and we know now that in, deep inside he did want to ride the tour, but he was trying to shirk the journalists asking those questions. Uh, but don't forget, Quickstep also have um, the previous green jersey winner from last year in Sam Bennett, um, and he was saying, we've got, we've got last year's green jersey winner. There's no way I'm taking his spot. I'm not going to ride instead of Sam Bennett, so stop asking. And there was a little bit of anger there because deep down he did want to ride, but he, he did know that was the truth, that he's not as good as Sam Bennett anymore, um, so he's not going to ride the tour to France. And then he said in some interviews recently... Uh, in the last couple of days that he never thought he'd ride the Tour de France again. And, um, yeah, from that interview a month ago to then Sam Bennett not 
I don't know exactly what happened. And there is a story there where the, he, he wasn't finding form and um, there is a bit of s- something happened. I don't know if it's politics or something with him not, not making the team and being a bit out of form. He did an Instagram post saying that he was just not informed for the tour, but I think there was something behind it. Um, and Cavendish gets picked. And, um, yeah, for this kind of turnaround from Cavendish thinking that he's potentially never going to ride a tour de France again to getting to come back on the team and having the team not only getting into the Tour de France, but firstly a quick step to re-sign him when no other pro team would sign him. Everyone thought he was done and washed up um, to on his first chance in a sprinting stage, getting the win. It was just remarkable. The irony is there's so much in it. Um, and I did hear a whisper that he had asked his DS what his race B plan was in case... Um, Bennett didn't yeah. make the start line. So deep down, he was telling the journalist one thing, yeah. but deep down he was saying, well, if Sam's not up for it, have you got a B, plan B? Yeah. I'll be your plan B if you want. That's yeah. how determined he was. Um, the last time he won a Tour de France win was with Quick Step at the same town, mm. same venue. That I just find that Uncanny. a little bit eerie. Yeah. Um, different lead-out train, but they delivered him incredibly Um Quick step are professionals at this. They and and Cavendish still has to make his way through the the peloton finish, and he did beautifully. And I felt so sorry for the breakaway guy who got caught <laughs> yeah. with a hundred meters to go. Even yeah. though it was exciting to see Cavendish win, yeah. oh, Brett I just, Van Moore, Van Moore, oh, yeah. far out, a hundred meters, and he, you know, with a hundred meters to go, he was winning. And then he came fiftieth. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look back at the stats, you'd say, "Oh, how'd you go on stage four? Oh, I came fiftieth. Yeah. But I was winning until a hundred <laughs> meters to go. And I, no one would see that data. It would, yeah. it would not make any sense. You know, you didn't yeah. go so well. You came fiftieth. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting back to Cavendish, I just think. Um, I see a new Cavendish now. Look, I didn't really like Cavendish. I think he was too brash for my... I was the same. Um, And I'm like, as an endurance athlete, I really like the marathon runners, endurance athletes, because they're... They've got level heads. Uh, this is my own opinion here. I'm going to say something after this. Which yeah. you'll laugh and, at, yeah. and the sprinters, they're just so cocky and brash and and in your face and and that's probably what everybody loves about them because they're big risk takers yeah. and and endurance athletes are more measured yeah. and conservative and um i don't know what else but i just anyway yeah, you're, um, you're spot on. Uh, but to see his uh character change from being an appreciative uh rider who's grateful to be given another opportunity and and he's taken it with both hands, and uh, you can see the gratitude in his in his voice. He's in tears. It's emotional. He respects everything about it now. He's got so much more value to the event than he's ever had before. He won thirty races. This this is thirty one stages that he's won, which is close to Merckx's record. And I think this is probably the one that means the most to Absolutely. him, probably except for the f- the one, the very first one. There's a, everyone has a special feel to it for him, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But mm-hmm. but he just has value for the race now, and he has it in context mm-hmm. and understands that how privileged he was to be given such opportunities as a young sprinter. And now I can I can see that he really looks back and says, "Wow." How lucky am I to be given an up another opportunity? And it just the lesson is that you know believe in yourself no matter what's happening. Back yourself in, um, have confidence in your ability. You don't lose ability overnight. And in his case, five years, 
since he last won a stage at the Tour de France. Um, and it's never over. And, and there are great lessons in this for everybody, for the everyday cyclist or triathlete who's listening or runner. This is something you have to really uh, understand in your, in your own mind that, that you have the ability to do whatever you want if you believe. And, and you can make the unheard of happen. This is like a movie script mm. you could not say oh that's never going to happen you know a guy leaves the tour hasn't ridden for five years hasn't won a you know up until this year hadn't even won a, uh, a race um, and here he comes and wins a stage in the biggest race in the world and uh, you know people go oh, that would never happen that's you know that's too Hollywood style mm. but it did it's mm. real and and to me it's uh, oh, I just think it's wonderful for the sport and um, and I love seeing it mean so much to someone because to see someone genuinely, um, you know, the footage in the quick step uh, dinner that night was fantastic. Um, he's making a speech and he doesn't really know what to say. Yeah. Every, he just wants to thank everybody. He's grateful, you know, the masseurs, the, the soigneurs, they're all a part of it. It's a team. Yeah. And, and people forget that the tour is about, you know, the winner. The GC winner, the the sprint winner, the King of the Mountain winner, the t- overall team winner, but it's it, it it's an, it, the weirdest sport in the world because it's an individual sport, but you can't do it without your team. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he respects that part of it, and and we were talking earlier about you know how good would the team members feel to see him win that? Um, they just get as much uh, joy. Because they've fulfilled their role, yeah, yeah. and and listening to Mark Renshaw being interviewed the night before was fantastic. Because he he was responsible for Cavendish winning over fifty percent of his races, and without Renshaw, Cavendish wouldn't have won this the amount. And he, a lot of people forget who Renshaw is, yeah. and he was an incredible bike rider. To uh, he was the best at his role in mm. the world. Mm. So Cavendish is the best sprinter for a period. Renshaw was the best leadout man. You'd argue that Renshaw was one of the best sprinters as well because he always came second. He was yep. so good that Cavendish would roll over him, but he would still come <laughs> second yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Although he had a little chance himself to be to be the winner uh, of a team, elite the the sprint uh, main man, and Never it, quite, it didn't yeah. quite go his way. So it's interesting. You, you, you're good at mm. at a role, and but yeah, look, Cav- I, I could talk about Cavendish and and how how fantastic a story it is, and who knows what's going to happen in the next. 15 stages, 16 stages that are left. Yeah, um, well, um, I think he's going to he's gonna win at least three stages. And that is a big call to win three stages. And you, you could easily just brush that off and say, of course he is. He's, got, he's a gun. But if he does that, it will just be the most miraculous story. George, the way he won the intermediate sprint, that he had the power and mm. speed that he used to have. And mm. his lead out, man, wow. He yeah. took him straight to the lead. And they won comfortably. Yeah. They almost they got first and third. Yeah. Well, you'd argue that Bennett was so strong last year because of his lead out, man. Yeah. Same team. So, yep. yeah, it was from the moment he finished, the scenes were just so emotional. Like I said, I got goosebumps. He, he sat on the ground. He would just burst into tears, mm. which you don't you – you, the old Cavendish was aggressive and angry mm. and mm. Uh, he had to be. To, you know, you've got to have that cockiness to, yes. um, to believe great, in yourself. It was great seeing Greipel and, and guys come up and give him, you know, give him the accolades he deserved, you know, because yeah. they, they're trying to do the same thing. You know, yeah. they've passed their prime and yeah, yeah. they're in the race and they, they would love to – Greipel was in the top ten. Yeah, wind the clock back. and uh, But, you know – You've got to take your opportunities when they when they are handed to you. Yeah. And they're not handed to you yeah. when they arise, and he did. Yeah. He uh, he had to make it happen. It yeah. wasn't handed to him on a on a platter. Yeah. Um. But 
But wow, what a what a great story! I'll touch on the uh, the cockiness of the sprinter because I just find the exact same thing in athletics, and this was always the case growing up. All the middle distance runners, we were all the skinny little kids. Humble, that, yeah. Well, yeah, we, were, we liked having fun, and the sprinters were always the muscly, big <laughs> jocks. And they, the word I use is pranced. They pranced around the track like they owned it. They'd be on their tippy toes, and it was all about how they looked. And the sprinters in cycling are the same. They're the big muscly jocks of it and the middle like you said with Dave McNeil when we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago um all the middle distance runners we get on are the most um stoic are the most um mm. yeah humble and softly spoken um it, I just find that hilarious least and least aggressive yeah and you watch the the sprinting at the Olympics and watch it this year in the, the 100 and 200 and I just laugh at uh, between on your marks and go is about it's getting bigger and bigger <laughs> every year it's it's up to a minute I reckon because they they're slapping their legs and they Look down. It's a competition to see who can take the longest to get in the uh, on your marks position. I always say because the event's so short, they have to make the most of it. <laughs> <laughs> As compared to a ten thousand meter race yeah. where they're on there for half an hour. Yeah, I yeah. think they're a bit jealous of the, the, the <laughs> only the time period they get. Yeah, we'll stop hanging it on the sprinters, but <laughs> you do have. But to just have before that. we stop hanging on the sprinters, <laughs> when I used to take you guys to training at at the Ath Track, it used to crack me up. You guys were busting your asses doing, you know. 45 minutes of continuous intervals and, and I watched the sprinters and they had taken their tracksuit off and bending <laughs> over and kicking their legs and stretching their arms yeah. and, and they basically did 15 seconds of, of yeah. effort and yeah. then had another 10 minutes off. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is part, I mean, it is part of what they have to do. Absolutely, um, I'm taking the piss. Yeah, here, exactly, um, yeah. But no, I... Um, I, there were so many parts to the, to the emotion that I loved, just to finish off with Cavendish and um, the fact that with a K to go, a K and a half to go, they weren't going to catch um, Van Moore mm, and mm. everyone was looking at each other and they hesitated for a second and the superstar that is Julian Alaphilippe just took it himself and selflessly... The green jersey is, went to the front. He's the world champion. He doesn't have to ride for anyone else and he just went, oh, I'm taking this for Cavendish and got them there. They wouldn't have caught... The guy, I don't think, that hesitancy could have cost them. And then, more importantly, he finished the line in, like you said before, he was so happy for Cavendish and mm. they embraced in a massive hug. And from that point on, um, you saw the behind-the-scenes footage of the quick step uh, staff members. They're all jumping up and down, screaming, mm. and mm. then... Cavendish just spent the next few hours hugging everyone and he just, he was he couldn't stop crying and he was just hugging every team member and that, you know, it was like he'd won um, the greatest cycling race in mm. the history of the world and that's just how much it meant to him and yeah, like you said at the team dinner, he was pretty speechless and he just said it was what an honour it was to ride with his team and I really agree with you that this one would be one of the most special because um, I think it's this theme that has just come up so much on the podcast for us in presence and he's the most present for this one because when he's younger, it's just he's going about his career, he's trying to win as many things as possible mm. and then that's taken away from him for five years mm. and then mm. he thinks he's never going to win the Tour de France, he's never going to race the Tour de France again and he just looks back on those memories thinking how amazing they were and then he gets another chance, mm. you know, being present so much in this stage. Um, it's all like, almost like... When you're going through your career, you're not savouring the moments yep. enough. Yeah. And now he's got a chance to savour it and yep. he's not going to let that go because he thinks there may not be another one. Yeah, yeah. Which is po quite possibly true. Yep. Um, so I think that's a good lesson in itself, isn't it? To, you know, just smell the roses for a second yep. after you've, you know, we talked about that with Dave McNeil actually. Yeah. Um, yep. That, you know, looking back on your career, you know, you're, you're sort of on your journey and you're, and you're up and going and, yep. but, you know, just reflect you know, on a good performance. Yeah. That's that's worth doing. For Soak it in. 
for, yeah. for a minute or two and then move on. Yeah. And the last thing on this is that he had the Cavendish statue um, yes. where it said 30 stage wins and he had the permanent mark and he crossed it out and said 31 and then next to it he put always believe and yeah. I loved that. I just thought that was just um, yeah. so simple but you always believe. Don't say anymore after that. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to the other biggest story is the time trial. And Can we just not go there to the time trial yet? Yes, sure. We haven't talked about stage one and two. Sure. Are we going to talk about that at all or? Yeah. Uh, what did you want to touch on with stage one and two? Uh, the risk takers of Vanderpoel uh, and Alaphilippe. Yes. Yep, oh sure. my God. Yep, yep, yep. That is gold to me. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Philippe, what a legend. Yeah. He's so good for cycling. Yeah. Um, I'm in love with Alaphilippe. <laughs> <laughs> to do what he did on that finish, just to attack, risk everything against the best riders in the world on yep. stage one of the tour yeah. was incredible. Uh, just, just. Saying, okay, this is what I got. What have you got? God, you're so correct because so much has happened. I just forgot how good stages one and two were. You said that then and I went, what, what even happened in stage one and two? All I remember was the crashes. Um, but you're right. That attack was just... And and he held... So he got a gap of 10 seconds and and his boldness of risking everything and he maintained that they... Yeah. Then he rode the same tempo as them. Yeah. So if he had stayed in the bunch, he would have been a bunch sprint. And but he's just risked yeah. everything, yeah. And and he's managed. And then the the, ne- oh, the next day, Vanderpol com- uh, coming out and and doing it on the first lap. And I was saying, oh, I'm not really sure what the tactic is here. Yeah. I didn't understand that there was an eight second time bonus. Yeah, you know. And I thought, oh, that's pretty average of me not yeah. knowing that. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. Plus. He really butted them up because mm. he put them in the red zone mm. and then the second lap to finish the race, he attacked them again, won the stage and got yellow. It was absolutely brilliant tactician. Yeah. Um, and you have to be some kind of rider to pull that off. Yeah, yeah. And he, like you said, he had to be daring because he, while he tied everyone else out, he absolutely blew himself up to get that eight-second bonus. Um, and I was questioning, what is, yeah. he, what is he doing that for? Yeah. But what a great move in yeah. hindsight and uh, it shows you, you know, there's so much that we don't know behind the scenes that's happening and what their tactics are and it, it's a great example of, you know, trying to understand what's going on with every team and what their what their goals and aspirations are. Yeah, yeah, and I love that, you know, his uh, initials are MVP and that's the nickname that's really getting stuck to him now because he's just a phenomenal rider all around and he really is the MVP. It's funny, isn't it? Most valuable player, yeah. Mark Vanderpol. Yeah, um, Matthew Vanderpol, yeah. Um, Mark's brother, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're right. The Those two stages, just uh, elite riding from two very daring riders and they're what make the sport so exciting and um I think you, you put it really well. You said out of three stages where there was, you know, breakaway attempts, um, two out of three won. And so... And one only missed by 100 metres. Exactly, yeah. So, and all, all of them really just put in uh, insane efforts to give themselves the best chance of winning. And that's all you can ask of yourself. Yeah, risk-reward. We talk about it a lot in the podcast. And look, it, 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 it never normally happens this way. But in the first three stages, 66% risk-reward. Yeah. Uh, and and it nearly was a hundred percent. Yeah, I felt so sorry for. I was yelling at the TV. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, Cavendish got his exactly. You know, yeah. So there's so many good things happening yeah. in that stage. Um, it would have been a great story either way, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just love people who are just gonna put everything on the line, and uh, it's sort of 
spintingly inspiring stuff to you know in our own local c grade race or d grade race yeah. or whatever we're doing yeah. you know it, it it it's it's the effort and the planning and and the risk taking and yeah. they're all part of it doesn't matter whether you're riding the olympics you know the tour de france or yeah. the local club race it yeah. just absolutely doesn't matter it's 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 a tactical race that you have sorted out in your mind and that's the challenge and that's why we love to pin a number on. Yeah, well, I'm almost always the most motivated and the most excited to ride the bike after any, approaching uh, any professional race, especially the Tour de France. You just, you just want to get on and go, go as hard as they do. You know? I, I know we haven't mentioned this, uh, we were, we're not going to really talk about it, but watching the, uh, Vanderpol in the time trial, protecting the yellow jersey mm. and going around those corners at you know, Mac speed. Yeah. Uh, it was inspiring to, to hold on to it by six or seven seconds in the end. Uh, that that's it's another. There's another little story there. The, the value of the yellow jersey. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, this and is why we love the tour, and this is why we're doing some special yeah. podcast episodes on it because there is so much to talk about. Yeah, always. He just he would never have time trialed like that. You know, if if it had been if he had not been in yellow. He would have time trialed probably thirty seconds slower. Than yeah, he did. exactly. Yeah, um, but because of the incentive, and that tells us a lot about mindset. Yeah, we if it means more to us, we'll try harder. Well, <laughs> make it mean more to yourself every time. You know, mm. um, yeah, and I'm guilty of that. Yep, a lot. You know, some of our Thursday night club races that we're doing on Zwift. Oh, I'm getting dropped. Oh, you know. I just try a bit harder yeah, and I won't yeah. get dropped. The reason I think a lot of our uh, Trivello athletes love these Thursday night races that we we do, and we spoke about it last year in the podcast, we over winter, because of COVID, we started doing handicap races together and we've continued it this year because everyone loved it so much, um, is because you can either do your normal Thursday hit session or you can replace it with a race. And both both options are fine, but the race is doing what we're saying. It's giving you that little bit of extra incentive to push harder and you might just be getting a little bit more out of yourself in that yeah, you compared to just a standard Thursday night You never night train session. as hard as the, as the training session that's on the program as compared to a competitive handicap. I'm not talking about crit races or road races. Handicap is where you have to ride a threshold mm. in your group. There's mm. a difference. Yeah. And and this is uh, this is really key to... to the, but it's great to, to practice execution and to push yourself and yep. challenge yourself in your... In your uh, your little bunch so we digress a bit from the tour but diving into the time trial so we'll stay on Vanderpool for a little bit because he openly said and I don't know if this was just for show but I mean the facts say that it wasn't just for show that he said I haven't done any time trial training because it's just not my specialty and he's just been focusing on his what's what he's good at and what's special for him um, and so last night they, they said they were up until midnight uh, on the bike doing aero testing, doing position testing, trying to get himself right, trying to make sure he could maximise every second for the stage. And he came out and rode the time trial of his life. And he actually said that it was the best time trial I've ever ridden. So I absolutely love Vanderpol, Van Aert, um, all of those young new up-and-comers. Um, but I think that was pathetic preparation. <laughs> I, I am disgusted that he could possibly have lost the yellow jersey because he's poor planning three months, four months out, knowing that he wanted to get yellow early. There was a time trial on stage five and he needed to be good at time trialling to defend his yellow jersey if he had it. Yeah. That's really bad planning, yeah. in my opinion. Because there's two sides to this. Because I argue that, you know, he's trying to win one-day classics. He's, he's trying to win the Olympics. He's so focused on being that type of rider. He's not going to waste any time time trialling. But you're right. If this was their goal, to get the yellow and retain it. And it just reminds me that you can't be 
um, a, ga- a great triathlete and then a really good mountain climbing cyclist and uh, and a good 800 meter runner. They're completely different events, but we have some 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 inquiries as to to be coached for. I want to do. What's your goal? I want to. I want to. You know, run do, a marathon. Do the widest range of events possible. <laughs> be a really gun hill climber and you know do well as an Ironman. Yeah. And can, can you have me ready for the um, the ten k fun run in October and the um, you know the Ironman in November? Yeah. <laughs> and so you're going to spread your. Um, effectiveness and I suppose that's the point we're making with Vanderpol is he was concentrating on the things that he thought were more important but I am a big believer in time trialing will help you in any facet of your uh, just you know being able to hold threshold for longer than anybody else at a higher power at a higher speed is going to help you in one day races going to help you in classics going to help you break away going to help you in rolling turns can help you recover better. Mm. Um, the best GC riders are bet the best time trialers and the best hill climbers. What's hill climb? It's a threshold ride. What's a time trial? It's a threshold ride. So they're not so good in the one day classics, but but you know the Olympics you you might need to be having to ride solo uh, to the finish, and you need your time trialing threshold. So well, if he is doing what the rumours say and he's leaving the tour halfway through to go prepare for the Olympics, uh, then it might have been a really good training session for him. <laughs> exactly right. Trial. And we saw the world titles last year where both the male and female races were solo breakaways, mm. 14K from the top of that climb to the finish, mm. and they had to time trial. So if they were poor at time trialing, they put possibly have lost those two events. Yeah. My last question on Vanderpool and SBS asked this great question. I just wanted to know your opinion on what's bigger for cycling, the Tour de France, Vanderpool's position right now with the yellow jersey or the Olympics? Because I find it pretty disrespectful that he's just going to leave halfway through, especially if he's in the yellow jersey, which we don't think he'd actually leave while he's in the yellow jersey. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? If he wanted to say they'd planned for him to leave the tour in stage eight and he still had yellow, would he just not ride hard that day and lose the yellow jersey because that would be disrespectful to the race. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it would go down very well with anybody. I, I mean, I'd still question the sprinters who see that the, the tour has no more sprint opportunities except for Champs-Élysées and there's 14 more stages where they're not going to be in the race at all except, you know, possibly being the Lantern Rouge <laughs> um, last place. Um, and, you know, their incentives are stuff that I've only... You know, I'll live to fight another day at another event. And mm. and if there was some way of stopping people from starting the event and not finishing it, I would be all for it. Mm. Because I Find just, them all. Find I don't know. Riders, just yeah. They're not allowed to ride next year if they've yeah. if they've gone and left the event without a valid reason, being mm. injury or someone's ill in their family or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. but it just... It's like uh, someone doing a road race and coming in and knowing they're not going to finish it, but attacking the race... And making it hard for everybody, and then just pulling out of the race. So it's actually destroyed the event. Because mm. I want people in the event who are going to finish. So they're not going to do moves that they know have no consequences. Yeah. And I think that's a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, we always talk about it. it's a three week race. You have to measure your effort, and that applies more to the GC guys. It does. Lots of guys yep. go out in the break knowing that it's going to ruin them for the next week because yeah. they're putting in a hundred and fifty kilometer effort i know it's a tough tough one to work out how to do but you know at, at, the, at the end of the day that the events lose a little bit of their shine when people leave halfway through so what, what would your answer be what's for cycling what's bigger the tour de france or the olympics well i think um 
Greg Van Avermaet after five years of being in gold. Yeah. <laughs> his gold bike, extra, yeah, yeah. his gold helmet. I think he thinks that the Olympic <laughs> Games is, is pretty much. But uh, look, for me, the pure cycling, um, the Olympics, they weren't originally a cycling event. And there's a lot of events in the Olympics that weren't the originals. And yeah. to me, like oh, I'm a purist, I just love athletics. And that's what the Olympics are for me. Um, the World Championships of Cycling and the Grand Tours are the biggest things. Um, it would be unbelievable to be the gold medalist at, yep. at the Olympics. But but I think that the Tour de France yellow jersey um, and stage wins and the world title, wearing those rainbow jerseys has so much more. And that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's a really um, good answer. But uh, yeah, I'd just love to be Olympic champion as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, representing your country is always mm. exceptional. Diving more into the time trial, Pogacar's performance last night was once again uh, remarkable. And I think the best thing that summed it up was I saw someone had posted uh, the image of Stefan Kung, who came second, um, just watching on in horror as Pogacar destroyed his time by 18 seconds. And his face, facial expression said it all. There was, um, he was just devastated, you know, really thought this was his chance for a stage win. And they had that image and the image side by side from last year's Final stage time trial at the Tour de France where Pogacar is destroying Roglic. Um, Roglic is losing the tour and Roglic's teammates, Tom Dumoulin and Wat Van Aert, are sitting there watching it all unfold on the TV and their face, their jaws are on the floor and their faces are just gobsmacked and they're in disbelief because they've just seen three weeks of hard work trying to get Roglic to the end be undone. And yeah, the, the comparison of the, the Kung image and the two um, Yumbo Visma boys next to each other, just watching Pogacar do it again, I think sums up the night. What a... What a great performance. What an incredible rider. And to see him so far ahead of the rest of the field mm. um, is – and he did that last year. He repeated what he did last year. And last year was a hilly hilly finish. Yep. This one suited the stronger, bigger guys, which should have suited Van der Poel and Van Aert mm. more than it suited – Well, Pop- they performed unbelievably well. They were better they than the GC guys. So they did. But, but he was just – he <laughs> was uh, class above. Yeah. Alan Piper is a remarkable DS. Um, he has been – in. in instrumental in Pogacar's and the guy who was leading the time trial prior to Kung um, early on in the in last night's stage yeah. was Pogacar's teammate yeah yeah um, who he, cra- he crashed did he no no oh that was um, his other teammate yeah um, but, but other guys beat yeah. him towards the yeah. end but yeah. he set the best standard yeah and it shows you how well um, the UAE team um, are prepared and yeah and who knows Roglic and Thomas really gun time trialers Maybe they're still so effective. Like, they did so well compared to the fact that Thomas had a dislocated shoulder two days ago and Roglic had the most horrific crash and he's, he's a mummy underneath his time trial kit. It would have been so uncomfortable for him to ride that time trial. He's got elbow padding all on his elbows and it's in that time trial position. His whole butt is just tape. Um, so the fact that they're only 44 seconds behind, maybe if they were fresh, they would have been equal to Pogacar. Um, yeah, we're never going to know how... Injury has an effect on your body, and I know that the body is working to repair infection. Mm. So it's working overtime. It's now asked to compete at the highest level mm. whilst it's... Re- when every second matters. Yeah, so it, it has to have an effect. Yeah. Um, Touching on every second mattering, I really like this from Pogacar, and this is a win for me in my eyes, is that uh, at the start... He rolled off early. The guy's holding him and uh, the, uh, holding his back seat, and then the counter's in front of him with a 5 4 3 2 1. And at 2 to 1, Pogger just starts going. <laughs> he gets down to the bottom of the. Not many people notice it, but he gets down to the bottom of the ramp. There's still one second on the clock at the time. And the two timekeepers have got their hands up looking at each other, and they just kind of brush it off. And 
I think he either deserves to lose a second or um, you said, does he get a disqualification for that for going early? But um, you don't see anyone ever do that. But he was so determined for the race. And I really just liked the attitude of get me out there. I want to ride as hard as I can. And he just goes. And that was a really good start, I think, for Pocket. <laughs> well, I don't know if you noticed either. Uh, Van Art, the guy was holding him and his wheel spun. The guy didn't let him go. Yeah. He went early as well. And his wheel spun yeah. on the start rate. Yeah. That's how keen he was yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fantastic time trial. And look, time trialing is a unique thing to watch. It is very kind of slow and it, 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 it evolves as the, you know, not like a, a road race. But, yeah. uh, but it's still got excitement and seeing, oh, Richie Port rode so well on the time trial again. Mm. And, you know, another top 10 finish. And there were some gr- outstanding results, except Pogacar was just... Far too good, yep. and uh, and you know, <laughs> that's the next question: Can anybody beat him? Mm. And as always, the race is far from over. But let's finish off with some predictions. I mean, Pogacar is in an unbelievable position. Uh, his two biggest rivals, not they've crashed. They're about two minutes behind, one forty-four, one fifty, something like that. Um, it's hard to see him losing, but we know that anything can happen. And given the, f- the first five days of this Tour de France, literally anything can happen. Uh, most of the GC contenders are all actually grouped together at that mm. 130 to 215 mark. Mm. It's just Pogacar's way ahead of them. So what does that mean? There's a lot I want to say on this. Um, I just love Roglic's attitude. He, he to me, is, he epitomises what the, the cycling, what, got, what competition, what, what having a go is. He never complains. He's... You know, he's not, you know, never, it's, woe is me. Mm. And, and you know, it would be devastating to lose last year's tour like that. And, you know, he's carried on and won races since then. And it's not the end of the world, he said. And, you know, um, I'm not defined by what I win or lose. That's how I go about the journey. And mm. I love his attitude. And uh, I think it was in one of the races where he, he crashed and, and chased down the whole peloton I mean the Dauphiné or somewhere, I can't remember what's. Uh, might have been the uh, the Welter, um, but uh, anyway, the way he goes about his cycling, I I really want him to win. Yeah, that's that's. But I can't see how Pogacar can lose unless something bad happens to him, because he doesn't have to prove himself now. He's got such a good lead that he just has to defend. Mm. And and we know that if you get cocky and attack in yellow, you had making a big risk. Mm. Um, and that could be the way to w- win it as well. Mm. Put more time into your opponents. There's so many scenarios that can pan out here. But it's up to the other riders, the other teams, to attack him. And if they, tr- if any else try and ride tempo, that's absolutely into Pogacar's hands. Yeah. He'll just sit on and defend. Yeah. Um, they need to throw riders up the road. So yeah. he, and he, I don't think he's got the depth in his team and this is the test that the other teams have to do, test his team and see whether a, a good team is really instrumental in allowing a GC rider to win. Um, and and this is what I would be doing if I was the DS of uh, Ineos, um, if I was the DS of Jumbo Visma. Um, in, in any, you know, any opportunity you see, throw people up the road so he has to make a decision. Yep. He can't cover every move. Yep. So that's the only way they're going to beat him. Yeah. They can't just ride tempo up every climb. Yeah. That's music to his ears. Yeah. You'd almost think that, yeah, Ineos and Yamba Visma and even the Astana riders have to, um, and I assume the movie star riders would be up there. Get People together. like Katana, yeah, just attack him from all angles and yeah, uh, gang up on him. Gang up on him, and it sounds really harsh, but this will be a true test because he's, he's 
basically in the lead now, even though he's not in yellow. Yeah. Um, I don't want this to happen, but I have a feeling that he's going to ride away from the wall. And um, I just feel like the crashes might have too much of an impact. Mm. Um, you don't see riders crash badly and just get back to their form that often. And... Yeah, he's, he's fresh, he's in great form, he hasn't crashed. It could be like the Giro all over again, couldn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I f- it could be like those tours years ago where Froome was just too strong and mm. he just kept right. He was in yellow and he kept riding away from everyone. Um, but we'll see how it plays out because, like you said, the exciting part is that we're not going to see Ineos use their traditional power move of just put seven guys in the front and ride the peloton out of their legs and it'd be quite a boring race. Um, because if they do that, Pogacar will just hang on, and he, he's strong enough to hang on, so they can't do that tactic. They're going to have to change it up. Well, let's look at Ineos. They've got Carapaz, uh, Port, and uh, Thomas. Yeah. And, you know, you're looking at it, it looks like Port is the, the best rider, yet he's the furthest back. Yeah. Um, so I would be throwing him up the road. Mm. Um, yeah. Because he's three or f- three and a half minutes behind um, Pogacar. Pogacar, and he'll Pogacar will have a he'll have a dispute in his own mind. Yeah. It, should I be chasing Richie? And then he could get lucky and get a two minute break, and yeah. you know that, that's that's the exciting part of what could happen. Um, I'm not sure whether Thomas is in the form that he thought he was. The crash is obviously disguised, good or bad. Yeah. Um, Carapaz's time trial was pretty average. Um, but he's still a good climber. Yeah. So yep. they have they have three opportunities. They've got weapons there. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure whether you know Sepkus can can do the same and and throw himself up the road and because he he did time trial well. If you're time trialing well, you will climb well. Mm. There's no just dis- just dis- dispute in that in my mind. Yeah. And he's he's so far back in GC that uh, Sepkus that he's, there's no relevancy for yep. him. So he's just he's there yep. as a pure climber to and help. Then so. Uh, bike exchange will throw Chavez up the road or throw Yates, um, Yates up the road who's 10 minutes behind Chavez is over 3 minutes behind yep. so being like this it's harder for Pogacar to who d- you know he can't keep yeah and that defend from everyone no yeah. no so it, it's it's almost better sometimes if all the GC riders are together it makes it easier for the yellow jersey to defend but when there's such big gaps he's got to make decisions on yeah. is that person worth chasing or yeah. is that going to just be a bluff yeah um, I mean it's him versus everyone else so yeah, yeah so yeah it'll be interesting to see well we can't wait to keep talking about it uh, yeah we've got plenty to talk about I'm sure over the next few stages tonight is a flat stage and then they uh, do the longest stage of the tour which is 250 or 260 kilometers of um, there's some hills in there as well nothing uh, crazy high in the categories but definitely some hills really one day classic type of stage and then the weekend is the mountains so I think our next episode will, will probably be Monday morning after the two mountain stages um, but we'll see what happens And Don't underestimate these look like benign stages that don't have much fear mm. they're the days where guys can get away in a peloton of 25 or mm. 30 and put UAE under so much pressure. Um, As we've said, anything can happen. Yep, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll either see you on the next uh, Tour de France episode, special edition of the podcast, or we'll see you on Tuesday for our normal weekly Get Fast podcast episodes. Thanks for listening.